Good morning, everyone. Hope y'all are doing well. Hope everyone is, is uh, enjoying the almost beginning of, of summer. Uh, I want to, to join uh, Tracy in, in giving a big congrats to our graduates um, and also a, a big thank you to our teachers today. This morning, we're wrapping up the, the series we've been doing in Eastertide, um, Can We Talk About the Weather, where we're engaging both in, in worship but in conversation, um, dialogue, and, and reflection on a, a challenging topic in our day and time of climate change. Um, if you recall, or if, if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing is, is the sermon kind of begins the conversation that we, we continue downstairs following. We're going to be having lunch and having fun, so that won't be happening today, but we're wrapping all this up. Uh, uh, last week, following um, worship, where I invited us to this conversation, we had this dialogue session um, talking through the issue of climate change. I'll, I'll give a little bit more detail about that um, as we go through the sermon. This sermon today has a specific purpose as well, and that is to lift up our voice as a community on this issue. So uh, the, the sermon today is really building off our conversation um, downstairs that we had last Sunday. So normally a pastor's defense uh, in, in a controversial or, or difficult sermon is, hey, Jesus said it, not me. But today, I get to say, don't blame me, Jesus and you all said it, not me. So uh, I, I hope this, this truly reflects our conversation and, and lifts up our differing voices that we had and, and not only celebrating that, but also thinking of a faithful way for us as a community to respond. Friends, uh, and to do this, we will continue uh, walking through John's revelation and um, his vision of the New Jerusalem. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 21st chapter of John's Revelation, beginning with the 10th verse. If you see in the bulletin, we'll be jumping around a little bit. And in the spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. 
They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Since we're celebrating graduates today, it made me reminiscent of my own um, education experience and uh, going to college and all that great stuff. And I recall one of my favorite classes in, in undergrad in college was a geology and geography class. Now, admittedly, I took the course because I had a reputation of being an easy science course for a non-science person like myself and had the moniker with it, Rocks for Jocks. <laughs> it turned out not being that easy, but it was a wonderful class. The professor really inspired a love for the earth and its processes, even through the seemingly boring things like rock formations, including where we took a literal field trip where we walked out into a field and stood there and looked at rocks. But one thing that stayed with me all these years is a basic understanding of how to read a topographic map. These are the maps with the contours in them, showing elevation changes in an area, and usually it's relation therein to sea level. These map ex maps explain why rivers and streams would flow in a particular direction and where they connected within the greater watershed. In other words, these maps help explain the processes of nature from water flow to climate to wind patterns and how everything within that environment works together. To me, John the Revelator here in our text provides a topography of God's kingdom. If you recall from last week, John first glimpses the new heaven and earth, the new Jerusalem coming down from the heavens. He's right there on the, on the ground floor as he hears God's promise of wiping away all of our tears and ending all pain and suffering and even death itself. But in our reading this morning, John receives a dramatically different view of this kingdom as he's led by an angel of the Lord up to a mountaintop. From this vantage point, he has a completely different view of what's going on and perspective. He's given a new perspective of this heaven and earth, this renewed heaven and earth. And as he gazes down at this renewed city of God, John first notices the most that the most prominent feature of Jerusalem isn't there. The temple. The temple was the beloved place believed to be the embodiment of God's presence with them there on earth. But by the time John writes this at the end of the first century, the, the temple in Jerusalem has long since been leveled by Rome, creating a crisis of faith for the people of Israel, including the believers of the early church. So these words from John come with some extra umph when he says that the new Jerusalem has no need of a temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb himself are its temple. They are also the city's light, shining so bright that there's no need for lamps because there's also no night. As such, the city has no need for gates, which were often shut in an um, ancient Near East city at nightfall. Since there's no night, there's no need of gates. And all the faithful will be welcomed into its bounds. And boy, do they gather. John describes the nations gathering within the city along with every earthly king and ruler. 
Another key part of this topography, like any topography, is understanding the water sources. From the throne of the Lamb in the center of the city, and the highest point topography speaking, from this high point begins a river flowing with the crystal clear water of life. This river runs through the center of the city, creating a fertile delta area on each side of the river. As the tree of life can be found with its 12 kinds of fruit, each producing um, in its own month. It's the leaves I find so interesting. The leaves are for the healing of the nations as they put aside disputes and conflicts and gather together in the holy city to worship at God's throne. It's a beautiful image, friends, of this renewal of creation as we discussed last week. We're not just creation, but creatures are redeemed and made new. Remember, God here is making all things new, not making all new things. Important distinction. It's about restoration, wholeness, and redemption rather than wiping the slate clean and starting over. Last week after worship, a number of our folks stuck around for a dialogue session on climate change with the help of a nonpartisan issue guide from the National Issues Forums Institute. The group which gathered reflected the power of simply sitting in small groups of five or six people and speaking openly, honestly, and lovingly with each other about a difficult and often divisive topic. I think this vital conversation provided us a beautiful topography of the issue of climate change within our community. And this topography can offer us some ways that we might faithfully respond together. This conversation began with each person naming what's at stake for them in this conversation about the environment and even of the issue of climate change. We then had the small groups go over and discuss each of the three options within the issue guide um, given for how we might address climate change, what we might do as a society. These three options were reducing emissions, preparing and protecting our communities, particularly those vulnerable to the changes within climate change, and the third being fueling innovation to address climate change. Well, let me tell you, some beautiful things happened during these conversations. There were lots of wonderful ideas brainstormed within these groups. And each group weighed the pros and cons of the three options. And in the midst of these discussions, some key themes and shared values quickly emerged. They emerged as a topography of sorts for this conversation to help us get the lay of the land. Now, while each person came to the conversation with a different perspective and different experience on the issue, the group agreed on the need for the church and world to take action in responding to climate change. There's a particular emphasis on the need for education on the issue within our society and culture to not only teach about the issue, but also teach about what we can do as individuals and as a community to combat the effects of it. The hope is that such educational efforts might lead to a greater sense of personal responsibility, to take actions on, on our own, to live more sustainably, which will then snowball more and more into greater societal change. 
There's also a deep shared concern among those participating for vulnerable populations, those who will be most affected by climate change, both around the globe, but also here in our country. You know, what gave me so much hope in this process, friends, though, is not that we made any grand ideas to figure out how to fix this climate change thing once and for all. Rather, it was the way in which the conversation took place in such a loving, trusting way. One of the groups reflected a difference in opinion between its members regarding whether we should use things like mandates to, um, to take action to reduce carbon emissions. While the members of the group held differing opinions, they were able to openly share their perspectives and seek to understand where each other were coming from in a loving, honest way. Friends, this is a beautiful, wonderful thing. It's something that is so rare in our divided culture and world today, that people of good conscience can disagree on a matter, yet stay in friendship and fellowship, and importantly, conversation together. In John's topography of the New Jerusalem, as he describes the river cutting right through the center of the city, he says that on each side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit for each month. But it's the leaves, the leaves of this tree that are for the healing of the nations. Remember, in this renewed Jerusalem with no gates, people and kings of every nation are coming in to gather together including groups who have despised each other or have been at war with one another. These leaves carry within the hope of healing and peace. What a beautiful, necessary image for the world in which we live today. While these leaves give us hope in a divided and broken world for moments like we experienced last Sunday, for folks of differing opinions to gather together and openly reflect it also goes so much deeper, too. As the war in Ukraine rages on, this image of the tree of life offers hope for a day when war will no longer be present there or anywhere else in God's creation. As our nation continues to mourn the two shootings last week fueled by racial and cultural hatred, these leaves offer a glimpse of healing and hope when hatred between people and groups will be no more. But as we've been discussing and discovering together about John's revelation, it's not just about forecasting the future. It's so much more about revealing the present. It's about revealing a God that is present and at work here and now, making all things new giving us a river of the water of life, planting trees in our midst to bring about the healing of the nations. The question for us, friends, is will we participate in God's new creation taking shape among us? And how might we do so? Our conversation last week offered us glimpses of what this participation might look like as we come together across differing opinions and perspectives to respond together as a people of faith. While this was an important first step, it can't be the last, and it certainly can't be the only step. 
We must continue to gather together, to talk, to reflect, even in the midst of disagreement and differing opinions, to seek to understand and love one another and find ways we might respond together. We must continue to reach out to our neighbors in love and understanding across the varying divides in our community and world. We must stand up to hatred of every kind present in our community and around the world. Friends, it's in this way and in so many ways that we might participate in God's new heaven and new earth taking shape among us, trusting that the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations, of every wound and divide that stands between us as God's children. Friends, may we go so out, may we go out bravely with this message, with this image of hope, that God is there present with us, not someday, but here and now. With this confidence and hope of God's presence, may we seek to reach out to one another in love and understanding to make our world and all of God's creation a better place for us and for all creatures. Amen.